0: Welcome to Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy podcast. First, I want to acknowledge that the college where I teach is on stolen Muscogee Creek land. My co-host Lucia Holsether and I are thrilled to have two accomplished leaders in the decolonizing higher education movement with us today. Both have authored, with two additional colleagues, Elizabeth Dudley and Alexis Mack, a valuable example of the necessary thinking about not only the importance of, quote, decolonizing the curriculum, but as Wayne Yang reminded us in the podcast we did with him last year, more importantly and systematically, decolonizing the university. Leah Trotman is the 2021 Student Government Association president at Agnes Scott College and a senior international relations major. She's also both a Truman and a Marshall scholar with public health research experience at the CDC and on her home island, the U.S. Virgin Islands. The 2021 SGA vice president, Catherine Morkel, is a senior chemistry major and peer leader on campus. Lest you think a podcast with college students, even seniors, is somewhere down the intellectual hierarchy chain from the top Freirean and radical pedagogy scholars, then you need to reread Freire. For example, he reminds us, quote, liberatory education is fundamentally a situation where the teacher and the students both have to be learners, both have to be cognitive subjects, In spite of being different. This, for me, is the first test of liberating education for teachers and students both to be critical agents in the act of knowing. What Leah and Catherine are up against, of course, is a neoliberal capitalist institution, a panopticon of power relations, if you will, and they are up against an institution they, and also Lucia and I, care deeply about in our critical assessments. Anyone listening to this podcast who has been or is a student activist can attest to the obstacles the dominant structure places in the path of systemic change. In this podcast, we want to talk to them about their work and vision for the future. They begin their document, which we will post on our website with a quote from Freire. This movement of inquiry must be directed toward humanization, the people's historical vocation. The pursuit of full humanity, however, cannot be carried out in isolation or individualism, but only in fellowship and solidarity. Therefore, it cannot unfold in the antagonistic relations between oppressors and oppressed. Welcome Leah Trotman and Catherine Morkel. to Nothing Never Happens.
1: Okay. I want to jump right into the content of what y'all are doing. And we can circle back around to talk about your journey um, at Agnes Scott and before and around and all of that. Um, But tell us, tell us what you're trying to do.
2: Absolutely. Um, I think it probably would be best if we gave like a little SGA, I guess, like, one-on-one course on the structure of the resolutions and bills that we do um so both Catherine and i sit on student government and agnes and every semester we kind of begin with uh i guess a roundtable discussion on some of the issues that we've heard from the previous semester and then discuss you know then moving forward in the making of bills and resolutions so this idea actually spawned from one of the teach-ins um, at Agnes specific for faculty that we attended. Um, however, then taking that idea and then bringing it to SGA um, to that roundtable kind of, I guess, birthed the document. And so the way in which our SGA uh, resolutions are structured is that the first section are all whereas clauses, giving a lot of like context for why we wish to decolonize our curriculum so it talks a lot about you know how education is marked by power inequalities that present themselves really in real life you know as, as racism sexism hom- you know homophobia transphobia all of the isms, um, and how these structures need to change. And then, you know, kind of the second um, of that first section of context really calls out Agnes Scott, right, who's been named the number one most innovative college in the country amongst, you know, national liberal arts colleges, and and how, you know, they've said that they're going to begin doing this work, and this is another reason as to why you should support this resolution, right? And then the second section is really the meat, where we get into the therefore clauses, where we call Agnes Scott um, faculty to action. So, you know, we talk about how we want them to revisit, rethink, restructure majors, develop new courses, develop new majors, revise content. Um, But more specifically, we urge them to engage with a student committee um, through the Office of Diversity and Inclusion um, and a couple of other offices on campus who would be involved. And this student committee in particular uh, would invite faculty Um, to sit down with students on this committee and review their curriculum. So we really are urging faculty to say, hey, you know what, I need to do some of this internal work within my classes. And who better than to do that work with than the students who will be sitting in my classes. Uh, And so that's the kind of large, I guess, big action item within our resolution. And and it's with the understanding that, you know, um, we've heard stories I also have lived experiences of, you know, sitting in our classrooms and feeling very excluded um or isolated from from our courses because we don't see ourselves reflected in the literature or even within the conversation. Or even when we do, it's very much like an addendum. Um, it's not, you know, the focal point of of the conversation. And so this is kind of where it, it birthed. like, okay, if we feel this way, how can we move forward? Um, and we're going to move forward with a student committee. There's no other way for you to be able to include meaningfully our voices into the curriculum if you don't talk to us. So that's kind of the, the birth of the idea for having a student committee. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the major content.
0: Well, what is, what have been the responses from faculty thus far and, um, and administration, and how do you feel about these reactions? And also, how have these responses provided you a map for the future, or rocket fuel, or um, a way forward?
3: Um, I think that that is a complicated answer in the sense that um, we have had some great feedback, and I think that's namely because of the way that we went about this resolution. So. Further context, when SGA resolutions pass, you typically talk to some administrative stakeholders and then um, it's voted on by the SGA body and then it goes to the president's cabinet, which is largely also administration and then it passes through there. But this resolution, we worked with faculty throughout the entire writing process. We had um, professors from almost every discipline pretty much every discipline actually um comment read it go through it we've been on email chains with a bunch of different professors we've gone on zoom meetings where we dissect word for word so we've gotten a lot of feedback um and a lot of it has been positive um It is still in the curriculum committee and passing through faculty committees instead of the president's cabinet, because we really wanted this, um, like Leah was saying, to be a collaboration with faculty and students. Um, But there has been, you know, some pushback in terms of um, how mandatory this would be, uh, academic freedom, and uh, kind of what decolonizing the curriculum looks like in different uh, specialties. So like, for example, I think a more um, common example would be like meaningfully including Black, Indigenous, people of color, authors in a meaningful way, of course, in your kind of English or humanities curriculum. But there's been some questions about, okay, what does that look like in STEM? What does that look like for me? How do I go about doing this? So we do have kind of a a library resource guide that we've made with Casey Long, who is a librarian here to help professors walk through that. But we have gotten some pushback in terms of academic freedom, but also just a lot of support that I don't think we were entirely expecting, but is very welcomed.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I can jump in here too, um, to echo that we have gotten, and it has definitely surprised me in other meetings that we're in positive comments from faculty at Agnes about wanting to do this work. Um, However, I think that is definitely um, something that, I think in general, SGA kind of gets across the board, like, yeah, we definitely want to do this work, and then where we end up stumbling a lot of, which I'm sure we'll get into later, is is that implementation or the the actually doing it. And I think that is very much visible in how long it has taken the resolution to kind of make it through the different committees, because we've been working on this for almost a year by the time we graduate now. Um, And it's been sitting with the FCC and now with the Faculty Executive Committee. So it has made it to that final position for like about two months now. Um, And so it definitely is taking uh, a lot longer than we expected, but we are happy that it made it to that that second level. Um, And I think one thing that we will mention, because this did happen to us at the beginning of our, um, I guess like brainstorming phase, developing this resolution, we did meet with some faculty who did feel as though um, we were almost not necessarily like co-opting what they had originally started, but there was a little bit of uh, like, oh, we were already doing this and now you come and we feel like you're pointing the finger at us. And you know that's not necessarily what we were trying to do, which we had to make explicitly clear um, that, no, that's, that's not what we're trying to do. We're just also trying to join in on the movement because as of so far, we either had not heard at all about decolonizing the curriculum on our campus or if we had, it was very much uh, not with student voice, which is the direction that this needs to go in in order for it to be actually sustainable, but also in just general meaningful. Um, and so there was at the beginning where we had to kind of quell some fears of we're co-opting or or oh we were doing this first. It felt it felt almost like they were a little upset that we were stealing their shine, which is another um, conversation. But I think overall we've had some pretty good conversations with faculty who have felt you know, positive about this moving forward. But once again, we'll have to wait to see how that fully implements. Yeah.
1: One of the things I really notice in what y'all are saying, Leah and Catherine, is that there, I mean, there are so many layers here, but you're running into um, stalling at the level of institutional governance. So um, Jody Malamed, who is our current um, podcast episode for April, talks about the ways that institutional bureaucracy speaks this really neutral language of, oh, it's just all about process and you need to follow the process. But that becomes a way of really doubling down on racist practices within the institution and kind of gaslighting students. Um, and the, but I think that the, then you run into another problem, which is that if either one of you, and I have this experience from being on the SGA too, go and say, "Well, we need to change the governance structures," the response is then. Well, you're a student like i have a phd call me doctor um why do you think you can dictate what's on my syllabus um i have academic freedom and you didn't go to graduate school for this and i know what pedagogy is and you don't so that that's a sort of a caricature but i actually totally maybe not a caricature i have a phd it's not a caricature can you, so just in case some of our listeners are skeptics and need to hear again an answer to that question um, or need to know how to answer to that question when they, their students try to, or other if maybe other students are listening and trying to do this work, how do you answer that? Um, how do you answer that kind of naysaying?
2: Do you want to take this one, Catherine, or <laughs>
3: talk about a little bit in terms of what we um how we kind of tackled that i think that's a very difficult thing because you are sort of you do kind of feel powerless essentially uh kind of going up against this sort of institution and pushback because you're not um, as students we're not in the kind of position of power there um but we did kind of start engaging in conversations that was like, okay, well, if you don't like what our student committee looks like now, if you're worried about um, the knowledge that your students are bringing to the table and the credibility of it, and you wanna kind of create that discursive hierarchy, I guess, then what what can we do uh, to make that better for you? Because I think, We were most concerned that faculty would not embrace the student relationship, student faculty relationship we were trying to create. So, our foremost concern was making that happen. Um, And so, we namely tried to do that through okay, what kind of students would be on the committee? Um, Would they have experience with your class? Would that make it better? would they have experience with your discipline as opposed to a student who has no, uh, you know, prior experience, but um, yeah, we, we, we did run up against kind of a lot of, a lot of things and it's really difficult. Um, Yeah. It's just been a really difficult process specifically with like mandatory. And that's something that SGA has always run across with, administration and faculty is you know we wanted to start off by making the um the student committee and submitting your syllabi for review and stuff like that as wide reaching as possible because i think also our main goal is making sure that the curriculum reflects the students which is an extremely diverse population at Agnes Scott. so that is our foremost concern and so we really wanted students involved um but we just kept getting pushback um so we we had to include the word voluntary quite a bit and i think that's our biggest one of our biggest fears is that you know when we graduate as this continues and moves through different things that um the notions in our resolution will be watered down so we were very um intentional and heavy-handed um, in the writing of the resolution, to be as clear as possible, so that doesn't happen. Hopefully, but Leah can jump in if she has anything else to add.
2: No, I think I think you said everything well. It was the naysayers were there. We definitely had folks who were worried about. Uh, actually, I was reading the document this morning just to get my mind back into it, and I scrolled through some of the old comments from other faculty, and 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 we definitely had someone say like, you you know. I don't necessarily know if student oversight is the type of committee that you want because you know I just don't think that having student approval on you know curriculum or or syllabi is the way to go because they don't have you know the credentials and that will undermine um faculty you know expertise and things like that and and first and foremost we had a lot of folks who were just reading into our resolution when there wasn't any wording there that suggested otherwise which in and of itself is a whole issue that we had to go through we were like where did you see that in the resolution? Because that's not what we said. Um, And so we had to deal with that as well as just in general, um, some faculty feeling as though we were going to tell them what to do or shake their fingers. And we're like, no, this has always been about a collaborative process because that's what in general decolonizing is, making sure that those hierarchical structures don't exist in general. And I think sometimes it's really hard for uh, faculty to get outside of the institution because they exist within it. And so it was very hard for them to, I guess, read within our, read what we were saying, which is, has always been a collaborative process between um, students and faculty. So I guess for people who were listening and, and asking like, how do we come back in season It's a lot of being heavy handed. It's a lot of emails because we're in the virtual space. It's a lot of actually, no, what we meant was this. Um, and let's figure out how we can say that clearly so that we don't have somebody misinterpret it again you know so it was it's also very much for us like recognizing that our lived experiences are valid and that they're enough to be seated at the table to then make an argument that we should in fact decolonize the curriculum yeah
0: well uh what systemic issues of injustice in the institution have been uncovered by your dialogue on this resolution and i'm reminded of a recent article i read by new york times columnist charles blow He's actually talking about uh, Tucker Carlson, Fox News and voter repression and um, what's called the white replacement theory or the grand replacement theory about voter rep- voter suppression that uh, white people are afraid they're going to be replaced, which, well, yeah. And I see this also, I want to move this over to curriculum matters that I see some faculty, or I hear some faculty, fearing that their traditional white, mostly male, um, curriculum is going to be replaced. And I didn't know if you had encountered that, and what other kind of systemic issues about student power, about uh, race class, all of that has been uncovered in this journey. I think for
2: me, it has definitely, I think the largest injustice that I've seen throughout this process is um, the painting of inclusion of student voice, and I think Agnes Scott really totes itself um, as a place, an institution, a college that values student input, Um, and in some cases they do. However, I think in this particular creation of resolutions, as well as just any of the other work that Catherine and I have been doing this semester, specifically sitting on the COVID-19 Student Task Force, um, as well as sitting uh, in the Commencement Planning Committee, it has become very clear that at the end of the day, we still exist within an institution. And that means that power concentrates with the few at the top. And so even though, you know, they say we have a seat at the table, uh, specifically administration saying to us students that we have a seat at the table. Unfortunately, we have been told quite a bit throughout the semester to manage our expectations. Um, verbatim just in general around whether or not we have say in the decisions of uh, things that have that happened on our campus and it has been really truly unfortunate honestly heartbreaking. Um, for me as a, as a student at Agnes. Because I don't know I think for my first and in, in, in sophomore year I think I definitely had some some rose colored glasses on about the institution, and then moving up uh, and gaining more responsibility within student government as well as sitting on these different task it has definitely been very clear that power concentrates at the top with the few who have no idea <laughs> what's going on on the ground. And it's really sad and really unfortunate because then what ends up happening is that the folks who are and exist on the ground, which we see just in day-to-day politics, end up hurting the most. Um, and in our case, the student, the folks on the ground are the students, right, who feel um, you know, feelings of isolation and and, and complete exclusion from their own curriculum, which directly affects like how much they buy into their classes and, and and participate in the work that they want to do in and outside of the classroom. So for me issues of injustice have really been a, a lot about like the hierarchy of leadership. um, and, and realizing that, you know, we say one thing to just check off a box. Yes, the students were included, but it oftentimes feels very much sitting as a student on those committees feels very much like a token just to make sure that we say, yeah, the students were included. Good stuff. All right, whatever. We don't have really care what they have to say. <laughs> um, So that's for me, I think the biggest. Issue of injustice that I've seen through the process of this resolution, but I know Catherine can can speak to that too.
3: Um, I, first of all, absolutely echo everything Leah said. You know, as she was saying, we work on this resolution together. We've also, you know, sit on the COVID 19 task force together. We're also, you know, she's president, I'm vice president. Basically, all of our work has been together and uh, running up against this sort of power inequity has kind of been the hallmark of this year. But I wanted to speak a little bit to the curriculum piece that you're talking about. Um, I think that, you know, Agnes is an institution, an educational institution, and like every educational institution in this country, it is built on white supremacy, capitalism, and colonialism, and education in this country perpetuates those things. And, uh, you know, things like homophobia, ableism, Uh, those are all built on white supremacy and capitalism. So I think that all of those things are perpetuated in the institution, whether the institution wants them to or not, you know, you can teach radical um, ideas in the classroom. um, And I have definitely seen a lot of that in my classrooms at Agnes Scott. But um, at the end of the day, there's still a lot of Agnes is an institution where that is going to be perpetuated because of just the structure and system that it's in. And so I think um, when you run up against professors who are unwilling to uh, kind of put aside their curriculum, um, particularly if it's like for white men, I just, I'm sorry. Yeah, it does need to be replaced. Like that is where we are at. Um, And as a white person, um you you have to put you have to be willing to be uncomfortable and put aside the power and privilege that you've been given. like it doesn't i'm I'm sorry, but that's where we're at. if I just don't know if someone said that to me, I just don't know what I would say. I just uh, that's um, concerning to me that there are professors at this institution where um, there are majority students of color, majority LGBTQIA, low class, et cetera, that are unwilling to include different voices in their curriculum. That is distressing. Um, and I think this resolution is you know, one step in kind of dismantling those things that I was talking about, those systems. Um, and that was our hope so students could could see you know authors of color included women included trans people uh queer people just you know everyone and so i think that that's what it's about but if um if white professors are unwilling to kind of change what they've been doing then uh i you know what the heck are we doing <laughs>
1: One of the things that I'm one of the tensions that I think is um, kind of built into any kind of work like this that y'all are doing is this sort of tension between institutional transformation and um, inclusion, whether that's like a transformative inclusion or a kind of token inclusion. One of the things I really love about this resolution. I want to read part of it in case folks are listening and not 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 reading it, um, is that the first, the first, um, the first resolution of this, there are lots of whereas, 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 tons of research that y'all have done on um, decolonization, on pedagogy, on teaching and learning, on the history of institutions. So you have therefore let it be resolved that um, we urge the faculty and staff to commit to decolonizing the curriculum by including Black, Indigenous people of color authors in their curriculum, with the full recognition that representational diversity is not an end goal, but rather the beginning of thoughtful and organic inclusion. So even as you are calling for inclusion, you are also deconstructing the idea that you know just like add and stir um, is is. Uh, transformational social justice, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you came to that language, what you were reading and thinking with as you um, as you crafted that part of the statement, and how you see um, how you see that in particular landing as you go through discussions with power brokers um, at the institution and all of the at Agnes Scott and you know in all of their various roles.
2: Yeah, so I think this closet in particular we worked on a lot. It's because it was a lot of reading as well as conversation with faculty. Um, who also helped in drafting some of these clauses once we kind of had the rough draft Um, and we worked a lot on this specific clause because you know we've done we we modeled after and I think maybe Tina you had shared some of this uh, info with us with like Bryn Mawr and Kent University um, some of the already existing universities who have this student collaboration which is more reason as to why we should have it at Agnes Scott but okay and um, you know it's this understanding that I think a lot of institutions are at this repu- this this kind of surface level diversity. Um, where we, you know, we say we have an office of diversity and inclusion, we say we're gonna be focusing on what is our new plan called? Jedi, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. We said we're gonna do all of these things. We said we're gonna do all of these things great but then the how right or even like the how how much in depth are we going to go and a lot of it is very shallow and so for us it was very important for us to say from the beginning before we even talked about you know in the resolution the student committee that this is not a one-time thing which is oftentimes i think what many people i guess reduce diversity and equity inclusion work to being we did this one thing cool check we're done now let's go do something else. And that's that's the furthest from what we're trying to do here. right? Because what we can't do is include a black author who's also homophobic. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we can't do those types of things, right? Which means that we can't just do this kind of identity politics, if you will. We can't just say, oh, black author, great. Oh, somebody LGBTQ great, we've got them in there and now we're good and great, we've done everything that they've told us. No, we can't do that. Um, it has to be thoughtful, it has to be organic as we wrote in the resolution. And if, cause if it's not, then also what the heck are we doing, right? As Catherine said, what's the point? What's the point if it's not going to be thoughtful, if it's not gonna be organic and if it's not under the the recognition that this work is far from done and it's always ongoing and always evolving. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of combos.
3: Um, and I would just like to add to that. um, absolutely, I think our biggest kind of thought in terms of how this resolution can be sustainable going forward, including the student committee, was discussing that this is a process and that it is continuous because I think uh, I was touching on this earlier, but, you know, one of one of our kind of biggest concerns is that, you know, this is a, this is a radical resolution. So let's say the institution is willing to move beyond the surface level kind of diversity and move into the equity and inclusion bit that they're, you know, harping on and actually implementing it. So I think, um, let's say they move past that and they pass this resolution. So we're leaving. So we could graduate and this resolution could you know pass but nothing happens with it and it it isn't actually implemented um and i think that that is one of our one of our foremost concerns because that does happen with quite a few sga resolutions and student initiatives and um they're co-opted temporarily or used to kind of say oh look our school is doing this but it's not actually um meaningfully uh implemented at the institution. Um, And so I think that that was one of the reasons why we included a clause like that, because we are very um, aware that we want this to be an ongoing process. And also a reason why we focus so heavily on student collaboration with faculty. If we get support from faculty and support from other students, then if we leave this resolution continues on whether the
0: institution wants it to or not. (laughs) Yeah, I wanna pursue that a little more. Um, You know, there's a lot of talk about diversity, equity and inclusion, and we even have a vice president over that. Um, We've changed human resources to people and culture, which is now a popular business model. Um, There's a lot of business model in in what we do. Um, Well, can there, Really, be diversity, equity, and inclusion without not only decolonizing the curriculum, but decolonizing the university um, with its um, neo plantation mentality and uh, paying poverty wages to hourly staff, et cetera, et cetera.
2: The irony is definitely not lost on me that, you know, we're writing a resolution about decolonizing the curriculum, but having to go through the same hierarchical structures to pass the resolution, right? We still have to go through, you know, the few who have the concentrated power to make the change that's essentially calling for the destruction of those same institutions that we're kind of run our resolution to. Um, And so, first of all, please pass a resolution for anyone who's listening. But second, um, with that in mind, I don't think that, you know, There can be full diversity, equity, and inclusion in the institution without decolonizing the curriculum, without decolonizing our institution, which imposes like a a major, I don't, I won't call it a threat, but it's a major like conversation about the ways in which our institutions are going to have to fundamentally change um, if we want to exist. I had a friend who told me that Agnes Scott is not yet ready for this kind of next generation of students who are upcoming, because I think a lot of us, I myself, were were still stooped in a lot of this respectability politics, and I'm now currently trying to shake it off, trying to shake off the... Oh, you're a student. You're this. You can't talk to this person in this way. Um, however, these younger students who are upcoming who scare me, quite frankly, I'm like, wow, you guys are doing all of this wonderful work. I didn't even know I could do that when I was 15 or 16. You know, they're gonna have a lot of these students incoming into Agnes, and they don't. They are not yet, as an institution, ready for those students. Right? These students are not going to embrace them like we did, but immediately say, "What are you doing?" that's not okay. And so I don't, and, and in order for that to be okay, you have to decolonize your institution, but we've seen a lot of pushback. And even if it, they, I guess in general accepted our, you know, resolution, we've just seen a lot of pushback to recognizing that you do recognize Agnes faculty, that you are part of the same institution. And and I think it's really hard to be in diversity, equity and inclusion work and not put point, you know, the finger at yourself. Um, and I think we, we're not doing that yet enough. Um, and, and until we do that, I think Agnes Scott is gonna have a really hard time like reconciling with wanting to do this DEI work while simultaneously still existing as an institution um, and not beginning to transform themselves in meaningful ways, i.e. removing power from a select few and dispersing it throughout. Um, and, and so I, I really don't think that without this decolonizing the curriculum work, decolonizing the university, we will ever be able to intentionally do diversity, equity, inclusion work. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I want to, you know, after graduating, kind of remove myself from Agnes Scott kind of to take some time away, but I also want to just watch them and see what they're going to do with this resolution after we graduate, because you know, it's one thing to pass it, as Catherine said, but it's another thing to successfully implement it. And whether or not they implement it, I think is going to be a great kind of temperature check, a great indicator of how well they're going to be able to successfully transform themselves into an institution or outside of an institution that does all of these kind of reproducing of power inequalities and social inequalities. Um, But yeah, I I don't think we can do it successfully without decolonizing the curriculum, without decolonizing the university. Yeah. Catherine?
3: Yeah, I want to echo that. Um, I honestly, even with the resolution, am hesitant to say that, you know, we can achieve that in this sort of institution. Like, it would need to be completely um, redefined. I mean, like I was saying, it's built, it's literally built on white supremacy and colonialism and capitalism and all that neoliberal good stuff. And so I just think that, um, it, even if this resolution passes, it is very unlikely that the most radical aspects of the resolution would cause some sort of institutional change that would truly achieve, um, Any sort of equity and inclusion and kind of, you know, diversity is important, but, you know, moving beyond that. So like, for example, you were talking about the living wage campaign and also the fact that we have a massive population of um, BIPOC students and a very low population of professors of color um, things like that. So there are a lot of things, uh, that need to be done at Agnes, even though, uh, you know, there are some steps that the school is already taking. There's a lot of things that need to be done. And I'm hesitant, uh, to say that that could ever be achieved without some major, major kind of complete redefinition of what, a higher education institution looks like, which I think is also kind of a little bit beyond Agnes itself. um, And more also just the United States as an entity. Um, But yeah, I think that there has quite frankly been some watering down of our resolution as it's gone through. And that's one of the examples that Leah was talking about and that you're getting at, which is kind of the, the the institution that we're running up against the kind of slower dilution of more radical ideas to have this kind of progressive looking like neoliberal entity of diversity. So of like a push for diversity that they can, you know, say is an innovative thing. So I hope, I hope that, um, you know, we can at least take some some substantial steps because just because I don't want to, you know, be so bitter that I'm like, no, this isn't going to happen here. So we should just not do anything at all. So, you know, I think that there are things that can be done in terms of harm reduction and making Agnes a better place for um, marginalized students. Um, And, does that mean we're gonna overturn the system with this? Probably not, <laughs> but it is is—it is something, so yeah.
1: This morning, I was thinking, I've named her twice now, Jody Malamud, our current podcast guest um, for April. And she defines, um, in, she has this article on institutionality, and what is an institution? How do we think about what an institution is? And the definition that she comes to is um, following scholars like Raymond Williams and Stuart Hall. um, She calls institution a process by which past social action congeals into present social structure. And, one of the points that she makes is that there are these normative dominant institutions, like that liberal institutions slash neoliberal institutions, like states, like universities, like corporations, like um, the the normative family. Um, and one of the other points she wants to make, particularly to activists within universities, is that there's always these are always terrains of struggle. There are always attempts to transform something to create new social practices that would create otherwise institutions um, that where it would be possible for there to be true collaborative rather than like presumed antagonistic relationships between learners and teachers because everybody would be defined as both. Um, there would be different kinds of radical praxis of, um, you know, get, making, making sure that everybody is like getting a livable wage or being able to live their lives. And I, I guess I just wonder um, as you all do this work, um, what, what do you think an ideal, ideal sort of dialogue or reformed revolutionized relationship would be? What are you, what are you hoping for dreaming of? Um, even if we don't get there? Um, I think those visions are really important. So I'm curious about what y'all have, what y'all, what y'all are imagining.
2: You want me to go? I, I, in an ideal world, I would have loved for the first draft of our, or maybe like maybe like the fifth draft of the the resolution to be its its ideal thing where we said all faculty are required <laughs> to meet with this student committee to you know review their their um their their syllabi and their curriculum and to actually sit down there and have conversations mandated sessions with these the student committee um. To have conversations about like this work, right? Like to have one in general. What does you know, because in the curriculum mean? But then to say like, all right, so you want to do this reading on this day? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about maybe we shouldn't have this theory be an addendum to this other one. Why do we need to have? I don't know. I'm an international relations major. We normally have like the big three. Like we'll have liberalism. We'll have realism and then we'll have constructivism. And then all of the other ones that are arguably most important to me, like green theory, feminism, post-colonialism. There others we spent weeks on, this other one we spent a day on. Let's talk about the restructuring of these theories that I personally identify with and will be using for the rest of my life. (laughs) Um, Instead of having like these be just an addendum to the big three that we've named within our discipline. So for me, honestly, my ideal world would have been like the draft that was like, listen, we're mandating these sessions, we're gonna have sit down conversations with this, you know, student committee, and then I'm gonna watch you make the change. That would be my ideal scenario. I'm going to see you do it. And so then I can hear back from my fellow classmates who were in the classes with you that they feel included in their curriculum. Um, That would be my ideal world, Uh, Catherine.
3: Uh, Mine is very, very similar. You know, I think... Uh, we did kind of have a much more I don't know as strict as the right word draft but like our earlier draft was a lot more harsh and like this is what needs to be done um, and I think it did include mandation with the student committee it also included Like student input on faculty surveys and stuff like that. And we got some pushback on that too. And I think, um, you know, I have an interest in education. That was kind of my, one of the reasons I was really interested in this resolution. I'm getting my master's in education policy. I'm really interested in it. So I am, what Leah was getting at is kind of a learner-centered classroom in that I do think that the curriculum you're teaching every semester should be based and like grounded in the students you're teaching and I don't think it should be like a monolith you make your syllabus and then that is the same for every semester until you know the end of time and you pass away and you're like holding your syllabus in your coffin no <laughs> um, I just I think that um you're you should have some ideas going in of course of what you want to be taught but if if your if your curriculum could be better tailored or pivoted to meet your students where they are in terms of lived experience in terms of their goals in terms of what they're most interested in in terms of the times that we're living in i think that that is kind of the dream of what like a democratic equal voice for students' education looks like, and I think that that is the ideal of what we were getting at. But unfortunately, that's just not the way classrooms are structured in America or at Agnes. Um, and so, we were kind of pushing towards that. In an ideal world, it would be more mandated that that dialogue exist, as Leo was getting at. And then I took a very long, roundabout way of getting there, but. Yeah, in an ideal world, um, our classrooms would be a lot more learner-centered.
2: I was going to jump back in, too, and say, I think also in a an ideal world where these things happen, I, first of all, that and joke was hilarious, but I also think in an ideal world, we would have faculty who are willing to remove themselves from their curriculum. I think it kind of gets in that same vein where, you know, when we talked about curriculum, and we talked about syllabi, it was very clear that, well, for us, it was, we're talking about it as a whole. We weren't individually talking about this professor and, and what all the, the troubles and the trials that you've like put into building this curriculum. And I think they what we experienced throughout was faculty getting extremely sensitive, extremely um, attached to their, their syllabi without like recognizing that this change needs to happen and without like removing themselves from that conversation. So we could just have a conversation freely. And so we always had to walk in and i not just worrying about our own feelings and the feelings of our resolution and the feelings of, you know, our classmates. We also then had to walk in like acknowledging their own and i you know, and, and obviously we should be able to hold space for everyone, but it also came at a, I think sometimes at a detriment of the goals that we had for that meeting, because sometimes we would have to take more time than necessary to kind of comfort, the feelings of faculty who felt as though, you know, the work that we were doing would in some way, shape or form like diminish their authority or, well, I mean, we do want to take it down, but you know, in, in ways in which like, you know, it would it would you know take away from who they are and their expertise. And it was like, no, 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 we just want you to change the way you're structuring your classes. We want you to intentionally include these voices and that does not come at the detriment of your PhD. And I think sometimes they thought it did. And And so in an ideal world, not only would we have these kind of like mandated Sessions right where we where we have these faculty who are required to come in and share their syllabus at the beginning of every year every semester. And we would also have these conversations without the students having to place well, the students who sit on this committee without them having to have that extra burden of dealing with potential faculty blowback in one of these sessions because. Faculty forgot to remove themselves from the conversation and sit down and realize that there's a greater purpose above themselves. Um, and so I think that would be another ideal, I guess. Marker for, for the ideal world.
1: Yeah, I just want to say, because I think, I think that there is a strong tendency among faculty and administrators to, and particularly maybe faculty who are feeling vulnerable in some other way, whether rightly or wrongly, um, because they're contingent or because they're pre tenure to hear what Leah and Catherine y'all are saying as we are coming in here and forcing and telling you what to assign. I am, I, I think that. Th- that is not what I'm hearing Leah and Catherine y'all saying. I'm hearing an invitation into conversation about, you know, Hey, y'all, what are you interested in? What would you like to learn about? Oh, like you want to read about, you know, you want to read the work of more black political scientists. You may not know who those people are yet, but I might, or I might have the responsibility to go do research. What about this? Would this sound good? Could we negotiate that? And that creates for more engaged classrooms and more sort of exciting learning all around. Like we, you know, faculty presumably went into our fields to continue to learn and be passionate about what we do. And I hear y'all inviting us in us being, you know, folks with positions of relative power in the university into more, um, substantial and creative and exciting kinds of conversation. And so I'm personally just super grateful for this. And I'm also sorry that this is being turned into for you. a a kind of conscripted relationship where instead of talking about ideas, which I hear you inviting faculty like talk about ideas, talk about resources, books, politics together, um, the kinds of conversations that faculty are asking for in their classes every day and complaining that they don't have when students don't do the reading in quotation marks, there were quotation marks around that. that instead that the folks with power on the other side of the table are turning this into an antagonistic relationship and when y'all invite them into conversation are being like why are you victimizing me Um, I just also wanna say something about like, like, I could say something about like, who is the snowflake in this situation? Um, but I, you know, I'm just gonna let everybody think that. So I guess that's not really, that's not really a question, but I wonder if you have anything to say about like the contradiction there or sort of like how you all have explained this. I, actually, this is a question. How have you explained this reaction to yourselves? Like, what do you think is producing this fear? on the part of people coming to meet each other and have a dialogue Um, and as you and I think I want to ask like as you go through these moments what is keeping you in the game?
3: I can go first I have a couple of ideas so um, first I think that um, something that we've run up against is kind of the difference between faculty and administration Even in a even in a resolution that is faculty kind of centered, we have you know heard from uh, like academic faculty that are higher up saying, "Oh, uh, you know, we had some people say this and this about the resolution that they didn't like. Like someone said they didn't like the the word decolonizing or something." and Yeah, yeah. And um, then we talk to professors, you know, like who are actually teaching our classes and and they're excited about it. So it's kind of like an interest in terms of student power, in terms of what conversations about our own resolution we aren't even being included in. um, And what are we being told that is truthful um, in terms of how the resolution is receiving like reaction and who likes it and who doesn't and what parts of it you know so it's really interesting to hear uh, kind of competing narratives in that way and i think that kind of divide between faculty and administration is permeates into a lot of things and i think some of that faculty concern um comes from that concern about you know ability to get tenure all these sort of kind of binds that faculty can be in within the administration within uh, the institution. Um, and then uh, secondly, I think that, you know, this conversation around this resolution ultimately gets ar- to conversations about inequity and conversations about privilege. And quite frankly, when you get to conversations about the privileges that people hold, they get uncomfortable and defensive, quite often rather than um, retrospective and collaborative Um, and so i do think there is some of that kind of feeling that if we are talking about academia as a whole or the institution as a whole a professor who is in a position of privilege will feel individually called out as like oh i don't have what are you talking about i don't have this specific i'm teaching X in my classroom, I'm super radical or whatever. And so I think we're kind of running across individual sensitivities about privilege and then also just um, concerns about academic freedom, uh, individual like biases that are becoming extremely present that you know are founded in the institutions we're talking about. And then also some things that we recognize that are maybe out of their control and have more to do with the institution as a whole. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, from a faculty perspective and one who supports this resolution, I think you've been disrespected, dismissed, um, and they're waiting for you to graduate. This I've seen, I've been there 31 years and I've seen the cycle of this. Um, so I think this important dialogue that you're inviting us to, um, has also, I think, been co-opted. They can use the language and have the workshops and not really, you know, that article that I sent you, burn it down. Um, not really, you know, really look at the, at the deep-seated injustices uh, in the system. So you're gonna be graduating. What are you putting in place Uh, and with whom to get this uh, discourse to continue because it is necessary. I think you're right. We cannot really survive well as an institution if we don't consider um, the things that we say we stand for like student leadership and empowerment.
2: Yeah, so in terms of sustainability, this is a question we actually got Catherine, when we were doing the other interview for ASC Magazine. We, there's so many things, there's so many layers to the sustainability portion. So, and, and I think a lot of it hasn't yet been um, realized just because we were waiting on this resolution to pass because within the resolution, we do have measures of sustainability. Um, We had reached out to the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. We also reached out to Tina to talk to you about STEP, um, which is the student-led organization right now, um, who has a few kind of students throughout who have really been trying to do this in the curriculum work. So we thought we'll grab those students who have already been doing this work. We'll implement this entire kind of student committee within this Office of Diversity and Inclusion so it stays past the members who leave. Um, and that, you know, we have this existing but will evolve, um, library guide with the office, uh, not the office, with, um, McCain library, which is filled with all of the resources that we had, um, as we were building this resolution out, but newer, um, newer resources as well that anybody can continue to add to. So there's that measure of sustainability as well. And people will be adding to this kind of library guide. as they join this kind of student committee that should live on if it exists within this office um, that shouldn't leave as we would hope not. However, all of these things we have yet to fully realize because the resolution has yet to be passed. And so although we have these measures of accountability, I am most worried that this resolution is gonna get passed on May 15th, (laughs) which is when we graduate. And that we're gonna be gone and you know, it gets passed. However, we don't have someone then who has you know stays behind for us to then say, Okay, the resonance just passed, now let's make sure that you do Subclause 21, A and B, and you know, are re- knocking on doors. Cause that's what I envisioned from in my head. This is what implementation is like, hello, did you do what we said, you, you said you were going to do. Um, and if not, how can I be of help to you to make sure that we get this thing that you passed last semester in place now um, forever more. And, and so I think I'm the, you know, the levels, the, the measures of sustainability are written within the resolution, we've thought about them. Um, But I'm most worried that because it has yet to be passed and we're running up on time that, you know, who's left after us will not um, kind of do that following up to make sure that this actual student committee does actually um, exist. And, you know, as we said before, this resolution is currently sitting with the FEC, which is supposed to be the kind of faculty executive committee that's the last step however you know every time we've tried to only send do send an email asking for an update it did sound like measures were being created to do the things that we asked within or urged them to do within the resolution but i'm not necessarily sure how much of that is being taken as a step that they're willing to do we don't we, we haven't gotten any of that communication on what they're discussing at the table um what has been negotiated you know none of these things we've, we've not been invited into any of these conversations and that scares me as well because the sustainability matters and and it's it has to be sustainability of the things that we asked for right we and we don't know what they've taken from what we've asked for and mixed and mangled into something that they think is acceptable or please uh so uh, there's just so many layers to this but we do have measures of you know sustainability it's just a matter of did you pass a resolution so we can get to talking about that and what are you talking about in those meetings and yeah kathleen
3: Yeah. And just to follow up on that really quickly, I think we um, as a SGA body this semester also kind of started talking about, well, what do resolutions kind of look like after they pass? What is happening with these? Because we had, you know, this, this is a running problem where things pass and then they kind of go nowhere, which is you know, super telling of kind of the things we're running up against. We're doing kind of all this work and all this kind of contacting stakeholders, meeting with people um, and trying to create a better space for students. And that is being particularly the ones that were most difficult are being met with, um, you know, just, oh, we passed it. And then they're just kind of hoping that we won't ask what happens afterwards. Um, and I think this kind of circles back to uh, um, a question that I think you asked that I didn't totally answer, which is like, what keeps me going? What keeps us going? Is, um, you know, I just want to say really quickly that uh, we have some co authors on this resolution who have been wonderful. A couple of them are not graduating. And we hope that as this resolution, um, kind of passes that those secondary authors will kind of, you know, who have been in meetings with us will speak to 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 what the vision was. But also, you know, um, Leah has been, you know, my partner through this, throughout so much other stuff this year, and so has so many of the other students on SGA. Um, who are particularly on the COVID-19 task force who have been with us um, and who know about this resolution because we've been talking about it, presenting it to them. And so it's my hope that um, SGA will continue to look um, at where resolutions are going and the people that I know that are still there after we are gone will kind of do what I kn- what I know they can, which is see if it's being implemented in the way that we want. But that is definitely, I think our biggest fear is that this thing will pass or maybe not even pass at the end of May. And then, you know, just kind of into the nether regions. So, yeah. It's
1: definitely- All right. Oh, so, oh, it's Leah, go ahead.
2: I was gonna just jump uh, jump in and say it was it definitely feels like they're ready for us to graduate. <laughs> um, and I think this four year cycle kind of works in their favor because I think for me coming from the Virgin Islands, you know, where we it is just a lot of different thought and then coming to Agnes, my whole world opened up, and i'm I'm grateful for it, and I know that I am a better person because of it. However, I feel like, and you know my my full realization came my junior and senior year and you know beginning to kind of really think about the places that i exist in and we tend to focus a lot on kind of the outside of agnes scott and so when i began to look at the inside of agnes scott and say what are some systems that we need to be changing internally as as a as an institution but also just as a place where we'd like to pride ourselves on being this kind of inclusive you know safe space for students um it's it's now time for me to go uh, and so I think this kind of four year pattern does really help to kind of keep the systems that we want to change in place, in place. Um, and it, it is unfortunate. And so I don't know, I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to change that, but I think it really does come down to maybe once you realize these things, sharing them with juniors and sharing them with sophomores in first year. So then they are there for the longer haul um, of the work that, that needs to get done on campus. Yeah, yeah, but go ahead, Lucia. <laughs>
1: Well, we, we, I mean, we could talk to you all day long. Um, we, we are gonna, we have to wrap it up now. Um, unfortunately though, we know the conversation will continue and hope that like, even with the transience of, um, you know, that, that is college education you know, four years and you're out and it takes a lot, long time to learn and learn the institution that, you know, this conversation is ongoing because you all have set such a great example for us and for, for the students that you the, your classmates and colleagues that you've you've mentored and you know set an example for. Um, our, our last question is always about um, what you are reading or watching or consuming. And it does not have to be like highbrow academic whatever, um, it could be trash television, or it could be, you know, like I'm reading Moby Dick this weekend. Um, so tell us, give us, what what would you like to recommend um, to our our listeners?
2: This is so hard. I feel like truthfully and honestly, I haven't been doing as much reading as I need to because I've been so focused on all of my reading for classes. Um, so I guess I'll pick from something in there. Um, I'm currently taking this community based uh, participatory research class. Shout out to Dr. Benice Jennings. She's amazing. Um, and I think for me, I guess I don't have any one particular reading, but I do want to shout out that entire kind of like discipline subset of public health. Um, just because I think, and it specifically relates to the work that we're doing here, that at the end of the day, you can do all of this large scale work, but if you don't involve the community, if you don't think about the ways in which you can build trust and and actually meaningful relationships um, with the folks you say you want to do work with, then at the end of the day, the work will not ever get done. And, or if you think it gets done, it'll end up causing more harm than good. Um, and so for me personally, that's been very inspiring because I think I get out of that class and then I like look down at the table and I'm like, oh my God, I'm a part of an institution that doesn't do this work. Um, and so for me, it's been really inspiring to think, okay, now I have the the physical or at least like the, I don't know, the, the skills to to take with me outside of Agnes to actually make the change that we wanna see within these institutions, even if it's not in higher higher education institution, I'm definitely looking at some of those government institutions in that same way. Um, so I think for me, that's kind of been what I've been reading, but Catherine knows I watch a lot of Marvel TV, <laughs> a lot of superhero TV shows, we watch them together, all of those crazy things as yeah. well. Yeah, um, go ahead.
3: <laughs> yeah, I was, I was gonna say some, you know, I think, this is going to sound like really stupid and cheesy, but I think that outs sometimes um, just doing things for like joy can be a radical thing, like letting yourself do nothing, letting yourself like enjoy something, um, especially in like the times that we're living in. And especially if you're like a person who holds marginalized identities, where maybe joy is not something that is kind of broadcasted, um, as something that you should be allowed to feel that just like letting yourself do that is something. So I think outside of, um, you know, what we've been doing, I've just been watching you know tv consuming a lot of reading a lot of things that i enjoy and i think um even you know critic even tv shows or movies make can make a lot of commentary about you know the places that we're in even like the superhero tv shows that you know leah's talking about that we watch but also in um in terms of kind of more academic stuff um teaching to transgress by bell hooks is something that I've been reading. I mean, bell hooks just a given always, always good. So, you know, but I don't know. Um, I, I haven't really been exposed, um, outside of maybe my couple of education classes here to a lot of the educational stuff that I'm interested in. So that was kind of my hope, um, to pursue more of that after I graduate. So, yeah. I don't know if that
0: answers your question, but.
3: <laughs>
0: Tina, what are you? What are you on? Well, I just finished this fabulous novel that Jill Herman Wilmarth, who is also an Agnes Scott alum and uh, teaches at Western Michigan State University in the education department, uh, recommended to me. And it is by Aqueque Emeze. It's called Pet, it's a young adult novel about a trans girl in some unidentified country that has undergone revolution. And uh, the blurb on the title says, pet is here to hunt a monster. Are you brave enough to look? So it's about what's a monster and what's an angel. It's got very heavy religious over and undertones and um, youth empowerment. It's, It's a fabulous novel. I'll get it and read it. Also, the movie "The Sound of Metal." If you haven't seen it, fantastic film. Lucia, what are you? Consuming? I'm
1: sitting here. I'm so. I'm so uh, consumed with coming up for new acronyms for the Jedi program and <laughs> the um, which stands for. What does it stand for in real life, or in according to the college? Um, Justice, Justice mm-hmm. equity, diversity, and inclusion. Yeah, um, I like yours better. Yeah, so the, I just ta- I'm just gonna tell the listeners that I'm coming up with acronyms, which is something my father does. He makes acronyms for all of his classes. So like every slideshow that he, that he gives is like, you know, like some acronym that's like 25 letters long. And I'm like, they're not gonna remember that, but you know, maybe they will. I don't know, some of them are really good. Um, yeah, but okay, so JEDI. JEDI could stand for Just Evade Decolonial com- Imagination. Um, But then I was thinking of one, so instead of Jedi calling it lightsaber, lie, interrupt, gaslight, hamper, student activists building emancipatory realities, or we could say emergent revolutions. Um, What else have I said? Star Wars stopping transformative action with reactionary and whitewashed administrative regulatory schemes. Um, anyway, I just really feel like there's some there's there's some sort of like pop up uh, there's like some sort of like pop up um, public art situation that could really happen perhaps around graduation. Um, Anyway, I just, you know, I didn't say that. You didn't hear that from me. Um, Anyway, yes, uh, that's what I'm reading. And that's where my mind is right now. Am I reading and consuming anything else that's good? Um... Oh, you know, this is this is sort of this feels like a cliche recommendation in my corner of the Internet, because everybody keeps retweeting this book. But um, I have been I've been re- I finally picked up and like started started reading Miriam um We Do This Till We Free Us, a book about abolitionist praxis and organizing and community struggle. It's a collection of her, her essays. And I will say that when I was I have a class where students are writing. Um, Writing these sort of just basically response essays that are free writes um, five times a semester about what they're thinking about, read the readings, completion grade, and I always voice record um, comments back, which is a great trick to say more and get through your feedback faster. And I just found myself like reading passages of students who are struggling with how to like not reproduce structures of harm in their own justice organizations. Like, how do how do left critics not destroy each other when we're so stressed? out about, you know, the harms that are being done from these sort of dominative institutions. And I think Kaba has a lot, Kaba and Dean Spade's mutual aid book have a lot to say about that. Yes, I see Catherine and, and Leah are like cheering as I say this. Um, yeah, so I, I just found myself reading out reading out passages and um, to my students on recording, which, which was a really sweet way of just like reading aloud to each other. And um, yeah, so that's what I'll say, I'll have acronyms and Miriam Kaba. Tina, you want to bring us out?
0: Yes. I want to thank Leah Trotman and Catherine Markle for the good and necessary work you've done, the good trouble you're causing and will cause throughout your lives. Um, Thank you for spending time with us today and sharing your wisdom, knowledge, and experience. And we wish you all the best in your transition into the next phase of troublemaking.
2: Thank you so much for having us. This is awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs)
0: For listening to Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy podcast. You've been listening to our conversation on decolonizing the curriculum, decolonizing the college, with Leah Trotman and Catherine Morkel of the Student Government Association at Agnes Scott College. Lucia Holsether, my co-host and I, would like to thank the students for their wisdom and insights and for giving us um uh, a moment to really think through our Freirean commitments. Our audio engineer is Aaliyah Harris, and I am thrilled to announce that our outro music was written by Aaliyah Harris. It's entitled Zeitgeist and is produced by King Benjamin.